Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. How are we all? It's Friday, which means it's Smile Day. I think. Um, good morning, everyone. I hope you're well. Um, sorry, a bit later today. Um, lots of toing and froing. Um, how are we all? It's Friday. We've got the BBC quiz. Uh, the Friday quiz. Friday quiz. Friday quiz. Uh, coming up. Good chip lollipop. Good morning. Did any of you see Home Time last night? Home Time is the name of our family vlog, or as Nadia likes to call it, reality show. Um, I had a bit of an altercation. Still, look, I've actually got a still got an indentation in my forehead from a witch's wart. I'm not talking about nads. Um, did you see it? Um, if you're listening on podcast, welcome. We're talking about uh, our vlog uh, that, uh, that runs on YouTube, if you're wondering what the hell I'm banging on about. Um, all sorts of things happening this weekend. You've got the Curly Cooks of Croydon. Curly Cooks of Croydon. I think, I think. I, tr I try to park the idea in their heads of doing a packed lunch episode. Um there was a chitter-chatter, chitter-chatter, but Dina then said she doesn't like packed lunches, so I don't know if that's happening. Hopefully it is. Uh, there'll be the coffee-moaning papers tomorrow. Uh, we'll watch mainstream media, circumnavigate all the significant news. Um, uh, morning, Russ. Morning, MT. Morning, uh, Margaret O'Brien. Um, and uh, there's going to be the No Name Sunday Show as a pre-recorded venture this weekend, so you can have some funny shit in there. You can have all sorts of stuff. Um, and uh, there's going to be a uh, movie review, The Zone of Interest. Is it The Zone of Interest? Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah, I can't keep the title in my head. Um, a review of that um, film will be landing uh, today. Uh, and all sorts of other bits and bobs. All sorts of other bits and bobs. Uh, Nanny Di was in the house this week. Um, she was, uh, guess what? She, she was, she was doing her own little green fingered hell stuff. Yeah. So you've got Nanny Dye coming too. So all sorts of fun. Uh, thank you for all of your contributions, uh, on the, uh, Thirsty Thursday Live last night. Um, a quiet little get together and a little chit chat about the false belief that somehow taking drugs and drinking alcohol makes you sexy or feel sexy or certainly have sex in unsexy ways. Anyway. Go over there to have a have a listen to that. Um, so it's it's Friday, it's Friday, it's Friday. Who's missing the traitor? Are you missing the traitor? I'm slightly missing the traitor, though I'm rather lucky because I haven't watched all of Squid Game the Challenge, and we're watching that, which is fantastic. Uh, Witches Eye, they call it. That's the witch. I've got the third eye in the middle of my forehead. Um, <laughs> fourth eye, fifth. Let's not go there. Um this week has flown by. Yeah, I'm missing the traitors. Are you missing the traitors? I'm missing it. I'm missing it. But I, as I say, I've got Squid Game and I'm loving that. And I, I, it's quite frightening, isn't it, how people really do split into the empaths and the selfish, so, selfish fuckers, <laughs> to put it bluntly. It's amazing, isn't it? You sort of see people in these shows and you think, God, how can you be like that? How can they be like that? And all that kind of stuff. Uh, will they do a celebrity traitor leader? And I was looking at, I was reading an interview with... Um, Stephen Lambert, who's the guy behind the company that made the series. And like he said, the jeopardy, I think the jeopardy is so high high with um, the traitors, isn't it? Because it's ordinary people potentially winning a prize. It's like if they did Squid Game the Challenge with celebrities, it wouldn't be worth it. I mean, the thing about Squid Game the Challenge is the prize money is $4 million. Bloody hell. Cray cray in the old Bray Bray. That's what I say. 
<laughs> that all rhymed. So let's look at the news. We're going to go through the news. We're going to do the Friday quiz. We are going to be talking about things like faulty towers. We're going to be having a laugh at the UK's nuclear <laughs> nuclear missiles. Um, well, <laughs> the story is that they're going to fire one or test one, but I want to tell you about what happened when the last one was fired and tested. Um, we are going to be looking at, um, well, something that was auctioned for £1,416 that you would never, ever comprehend as being even auctionable. Uh, and obviously, we're going to be touching upon some of the more serious stuff. So uh, this is unusual. This is unusual. Look, it has to be stressed that it feels like the mood music coming out of the Israeli-Gaza crisis um, is one that's pointing towards the potential for a ceasefire. Now, we've said this long and hard, and you, we've made no secret of where we sit on this topic. Be warned. Be prepared. This is how it's going to work. I, I, was, I was reminded, just before I get to that, I was reminded about the, you know, the narcissistic definition, you know, the, the idea that uh, dealing with a narcissist is, is often like this. So I, I'm sat here and I'm talking to a narcissist off camera just over there. And I, I do something wrong. It's like I hurt them with something I say. And that's my fault, right? But then they hurt me with something they say. And their argument is I made them do it. So a number of people, I mean, sort of, you know, sort of political comedians and what have you, have equated the Israeli, not Israel as a whole, as a whole but the Israeli government's policy in Gaza as to that of a narcissistic, overindulged, tyrannical teenager. And I think I'm agreeing. Um, you know, you hurt me. It's your fault. I hurt you. It's also your fault. So... Bearing that thought in mind, anyone who's had any relationship with um, with uh, with narcissists, um, that might ring, ring a few bells. Um, and if they hurt your ears, it's your fault, and it's their your fault if they made if they rung the bells. So here's the thing: be prepared for the big. I, mean, well, I don't think we're anywhere near this yet, but be prepared for suddenly at the moment the the most egregious, aggressive destructive um, assault uh, in recent memory, when and if it gets to a place of pause, Israel and Biden and Rishi and Starmer and all of the kind of usual suspects, Trudeau, all that lot, they're all going to want pats on the back and they're going to be applauded. They're going to be like, look what we've done. Look, we've stopped it. Aren't we good? And the hope will be that in the sort of huge gasp of relief that will come to all of those poor people in Palestine who literally have nothing, nothing, schools, hospitals, homes, bedding, water, food, parents, the hope will be that the, the, the world will, will breathe such a collective sigh of relief whilst, I'm not suggesting there's a connection here, but maybe there is, whilst the UK and the US go into election fever, Thank you, Nora A. I will, I will keep your quote there. 
the hope will be that everyone will be in such a frenzy of sort of, oh, what a, oh, what? Not, I mean, it won't be like that, but it'll be like, oh, you know, got hard won, hard work. We've, okay, we're at the right point now. This is ev- America will say, this is everything we were pushing for. We told you that behind the scenes we were advising and pressurizing and, and the Rishi will be like, well, we kept saying and Starmer will say, yes, I didn't mean it when I said they had the right to turn the water off and all that kind of stuff. Human rights lawyer, just a reminder. Um, yes, should know better really even than Rishi. Um, it's just a point. All of that's going to go on in the hope that we all just go, oh, what a relief. Oh, let's just get in. Let's get on with the business of trying to sort a really sort of sustainable ceasefire, which is what we want. Uh, let's try and sort a two-state solution, which is what most normal people want, but Netanyahu doesn't, and many people in Israel, the Israeli government don't. Oh, let's let's you know. And the fear and the worry and the possibility there is that all of this will go away like a bad row. You know, like have you ever had a row with someone, and there are so many egregious, horrible things they've said and done. But what they've done is they've made the making up so such a relief. It's such a relief that you're making up that you don't want to seem to be the one that's banging on about some of the things that were really horrible, actually, and awful that went on in the relationship that potentially could cause ramifications for years to come. But because you just want to make up, because actually you just want to make up, you kind of, you kind of, you, you nuzzle around. I think this says it pretty simply. Nura A, at least 30,000 people too late. We must never forget. So if this is coming in, which we want, of course, everyone wants, um, everyone wants the ceasefire. That's what we're all calling for, even though somehow it's, you know, it's the terrorist supporting, if you call for a ceasefire. How we, I mean, I, the, the, Childlike historian in shorts, not that I ever wore shorts to history lessons, will never be able to quite comprehend how the word ceasefire. I, I mean, we now live in a mad world, if you can do that. I just, it's quite an astonishing, wow. The word ceasefire needs a new PR team to work for it. Of course we want ceasefire. All of the stuff that we want. We want it for both sides. We want the hostages safely brought home. We want Palestinians not destroyed. We want parents not delivering their children in bags. You know, we want this to happen. But don't forget, and it's incumbent on everyone, that everyone keeps charting and remembering and putting pressure on everyone, politicians, government, keeps calling out the behaviour that must not be just neatly airbrushed out of history because we're all so blessedly relieved that it's come to a halt. It's, it's really important. And now that's not, you know, someone like uh, Boris would be like, yeah, project, yeah, where are we looking back? Don't look back. Well, of course, lots of people who don't want to look back have a vested interest in not wanting to look back because they don't want to see what, that, what was actually going on. So don't, don't, be, don't be suckered into that. But with all of those caveats, fuck caveats, but those are caveats, with all those caveats in place, um, hopes for a Gazan sit for a ceasefire are... Emerging, it does look like that Hamas are looking at the de- the details of a deal that could see or could possibly see that all remaining civilian hostages are returned in return for a ceasefire that lasts forty days. Part of the deal that Hamas are pushing for is that the Israeli army needs to pull out completely. The military operation needs to cease. How now? 
We might get the ceasefire. We might get the hostages out. But how how readily believable and achievable is that with Netanyahu? I think things are getting tighter and tighter for Netanyahu. His sustainability is attached to his level of aggression towards Gaza and the Palestinians. And once that has to or starts to diminish, or once his bargaining chips there start to diminish, I think he's in a, you know, from what polls and and public sort of opinion in Israel suggests, he's not in a a strong position. That's not necessarily just because he's too right-wing about the Palestinians. Don't be lulled into this belief that whoever comes in after him won't be as extreme. I mean, there's lots of, just go online, there's lots and lots of statements from lots and lots of other opposition leaders, other parties, etc., who are, are spouting the same horrendous stuff about about not wanting a two state solution but this all of this all of this the mood music there's a lot going on in qatar in egypt the us say that they're in there too so um, but alongside this there's there's other bits and bobs in the news um it's only for 40 well it's only for 40 days and then what happens and i think it's a really important point nora what you, whatever happens, there's going to be a ratcheting down because you know I, I I wouldn't be at all surprised if behind the scenes, what's being said to Israel is look 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 guys this can't go well it can't go on because there's nothing else to they're about to go into Rafa aren't they which is the last last gasp area where they've squeezed all, most of the population down to they're going to say look at some point you've got to this has got to so at the point that it start you start to pull it out or pull down let's start to put news stories out there like we're pulling troops home. We're softening things. We're stopping things. There's still a military presence. Just make it all feel less volatile. And like you say, there'll be a 40-day ceasefire, potentially. It depends if Hamas agrees to it. Um, and then and then what? And then what? We, we, they all start fighting again. Uh, Israel attacks again. Is that right? Is that what happens? Then what? Then what? I mean, I've read somewhere that whilst, you know, there's so many Palestinians in being held by the Israeli government without charge, and so many more have been taken in without charge, so that any of the ones that were released in the previous hostage exchanges, if you like, have been negated by new arrests in the West Bank. So, so anyway, so there, there is a lot of chatter about ceasefires. And all I, all, my line on this is, of course, we all want that. That's what we've all been calling for. But watch, do watch and analyze and don't just accept the headline because the telegraph they'll all be like see you know ceasefire or agreement or war ends and it'll all be it'll all be couched in terms of what a beautiful act of generosity this is from Israel Israel is giving nothing in giving this so don't be don't be drawn into that, that that's a that's a fake it's a fake fake news fake news fake narrative fake news um so so yeah Interestingly, David Cameron um, has reiterated that the UK could recognise a Palestinian state before a deal with Israel, which is curious because even Starmer has said that he won't re- he won't recognise Palest- uh, a Palestinian nation unilaterally. Whereas what Cameron is saying here, and you wonder, is Cameron actually when he goes to these meetings in the Middle East, is he actually listening to both sides? Because as he rightly says. His quote here is, we should potentially recognize an independent state of Palestine. It shouldn't come at the start of the process, but equally, it doesn't and it shouldn't have to come at the very end of the process. Now, this, you know, you've got to give uh, Palestinians in Gaza something. You've got to give whoever 
And whoever's going to, I mean, someone's got to run Gaza eventually. So you've got to offer them something. You've got to offer them something to live for. And this is what they have not had for years, anything to really coherently live for or aim for. And I, bear with me one second. As back. <sighs> what was I saying? Um, oh, yeah, uh, Cameron. You've got, to, you've got to offer them something. You've got to offer them something, you know, in return. And this, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays with Netanyahu. This is very much, this, this is very much a shift. This is very much a change. This is very much a move on, isn't it, from, um, from where we were before. Oh, look, there's Chi-Chi. Look, she's got the donut of shame now. Bless her. Um, so, yeah, it was Tim. He sends all his love. So, yes, yeah, so David Cameron, ironically, is, is more progressive in his attitude to Palestine and recognising a Palestinian state than old Starmer Boots is. And at the same time, President Biden has issued an executive or signed off an executive order saying that those naughty, naughty settlers in the West Bank who have been aggressive and naughty uh, will will experience sanctions and have visas taken away from them. <gasps> All four of them, four, literally four individuals. I think. I think it's literally four individuals. I mean, it's a gesture in the right direction. But who here is cynically like me thinking? Is all of this about not wanting to lose the American Arab vote by Biden? A little bit too little, too late. Is it too little, too late? Can there be too little, too late? But at least. At least it acknowledges on the international stage that there is this issue in the West Bank. So that's that's another little bit, little bit of news there. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, so you know, so some it feels like things are moving in the right, in the right direction. But what generally seems to happen is, is that as we surge towards what could potentially be a solution, though we are nowhere near the solution. Exactly, he's sanctioned for. Four people, Helen. I agree. I'm, I'm being ironic. I'm, it's beyond late, says Nura A. Oh, Starmer reminds me of the man from the Vicar of Dibley. No, 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 no. Yes, Stormy Harvey, he's worse than that. I, it was interesting. I was listening to someone on the radio saying, but it, you've got to vote for the greater good. You know, you've got to vote for all the, yeah, all the other values of the Labour Party, et cetera, et cetera. But also, I think you've got to, you've got to quite clearly demonstrate to Starmer that he was wrong. If a human rights lawyer takes seven to nine days to say that he misspoke when he said that Israel had the right to turn off the water, which in itself is a crime against international law and is an act of genocide, that if a, if a human rights lawyer is unaware of that and then doesn't correct it for seven days, I'm a little bit worried about that. Call me old-fashioned, I find that a little bit worried. Um, Starmer boy. So, yeah, so there's a lot of this jostling. We're going into the weekend with a lot of jostling um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the whole Israel-Gaza scenario. But, of course, it makes not a slightest jot of difference to people on the floor. There was a really interesting um, meme-type thing that I, I think I posted on, um, on Insta Stories, where, where we are in this curious situation where the Houthis are, called, are defined as terrorists for blocking trade. Um, in a political protest in support of their 
brothers and sisters in Palestine, um, but uh, Jewish Israeli um, protesters preventing aid getting into um, Gaza are, are are merely, you know, exercising their right to demonstrate. You know, they, they both have served the same purpose of blocking crucial transportation of aid or produce. But one, if it's if it's if it's commerce, uh, the Houthis are terrorists. But if it's if it's aid to starving children, do you see what I mean? How the language being used is so it's so contrasting. You know, the simple fact that you get sort of it's you know. <laughs> Israeli, you know, Israelis, every Israeli death, they're killed, whereas Palestinians die. It's in these, this important distinction removes the aspect of culpability. You know, Israelis are killed by who? A narrative that is trying to promote and, and suggest to the world still a barbarism within a certain culture. Uh, whereas, you know, uh, if, if so, Israelis are killed. Uh, IDF members are killed, uh, but Palestinians die. Yeah. Curious use of language. It's all about language, as we've discovered with ceasefire. So uh, curiously at the moment, I find myself in a curious place with thinking, okay, Cameron, I'm interested. I'm I'm not for a minute saying I'm a fan of his at all, but I'm interested in where he's taking things because he seems to be the only one taking things in a, in a, in a direction that I can see how Palestinians could, and Arab nations could get on board with that. Right, anyone here, we're moving on from the Gaza war. Uh, anyone here, um, anyone here had to play rugby? Girls, boys, anyone? Anyone had to play rugby? This is curious. I heard old Nick Ferrari giving it the old, it's really important for boys to be kicked and knocked over. And it's really important for, oh God, I, do you know what? Oh, God, you know that old-fashioned, it's really important that you hurt yourself. It's really important that I'm not. It's really important you get punched in the face. It's really important you break your leg. He actually read out a contribution and went, uh, oh, your rugger family, fantastic. Look I, look, I played rugby. This isn't a criticism against rugby, but I just want to share this thought. This, this struck me as beyond fucking stupid. He's like, come on, you know, of course he's doing this. This is the story that rugby, someone somewhere is called rugby. Rugby in schools is a form of child abuse. Says a says an expert uh, or a paper set to be published by the Sports Ethics and Philosophy Journal of British Philosophy of Sport Association. It says that the knock to the head can cause dementia and Parkinson. It's not it, child abuse is a strong word. It, I've always it's always struck me as odd that you know it's violent and it's encouraged. But hey, anyway. But there's the school of hard knocks, and then there's this. So someone sent in a letter saying, I don't know what all the fuss is about. Rugby didn't do me any harm. And then said, rugby gave me his wife, which that's nice. That's lovely. Must have met, met her on the, the in some way. Um, it gave me my wife. It gave me a broken nose. It gave me cauliflower ears. It gave me um, a titanium leg. Um, it gave me a love and passion for drinking too much alcohol. At this point, I'm thinking... I'm so pleased rugby's delivered for you. It doesn't sound like it delivered for all of the people on the NHS who've rescued you, repaired you, and perhaps maybe even your family when you're drunk and smashed half the time. 
I agree. Those that want to play should be allowed to play. I agree with you wholeheartedly, good ship lollipop, which is why I've got particular beef with my sports master, because I said, I don't want to play it, actually. And he said, why? I said, I don't want to be punched in the face. And he said, why? I said, and to be honest with you, I knew that in the school that we were playing, there was a guy called Lloyd, bless him. And he was built like a brick shit house. He was massive. And I said to my sports master, I said, I don't, we all knew each other from, it was back in the day when you knew sports members opposed. I said, I don't want to play in the rugby team. Lloyd's going to crush me. He said, everyone thinks Lloyd's going to crush them. I said, yeah, because he crushes people. And then he said, but you can run fast. I'll put you in there. I said, no. And I remember sitting sitting out, I I was kept home, kept at school from home. And they said, you can't go home until you agree to play rugby. I thought this is like hostage take. Oh, I didn't think that because I didn't know what hostages were back then. But it felt, you know, looking back, I was, t- I was taking hostage. So I had no choice, Good Ship Lollipop. Good Ship Lollipop, my dad lost his kneecap. Was it worth it? Would he have preferred to have had his kneecap than maybe experience the game of rugby? You see, I wish I, I, I could, Mike, I, I can't stand football anymore. I loved football. My knee injury was about because of football. I get annoyed that it was because of football. Rugby issues. One thing I would say, people were asking on the radio today, saying, uh, whilst I was in traffic, they were saying, ah, oh, but you see, you go to a rugby match and no one's fighting each other in the terraces. And I think this is the loveliest thing about rugby. What I like about rugby is the sense of camaraderie off the pitch. And I, I just wonder whether there isn't any violence going on off the pitch because everyone's being thumped to pieces on the pitch. What do you think? Do you think that's why? Do you think there's not enough violence in, on the football? If there was more violence on the football pitch, maybe there wouldn't be so many football hooligans. So I like that thing. But then I look to America, and I think one of the things I like about America is, is like baseball and American football and basketball and hockey, ice hockey. It's very family, isn't it, in America? There isn't that same... I mean, that's not to say that you don't get crowd violence, but it's less sort of argy-bargy, isn't it? So, yeah, rugby in schools. Uh, well, of course, this is a sort of philosophical kind of, you know, sports and ethics. This is the idea that these collisions at sports for children should not intentionally harm their brains. Sport for children should focus on fun, health and social development rather than conditioning them to play elite level sport. These collisions cause cognitive harm and increase the risk of neurodegenerative diseases and dementia and are therefore abusive to a child's brain. Wow. Wow, what do you think of that? Okay, here's a suggestion. Here's a suggestion. You don't think it is violent? Well, most people I know or I've met, and I've drunk with lots of rugby players, they've often got like no ear. You know a rugby player when you can see that their ear looks like Mr. Scribble. Do you remember from Roger Hargreaves' Mr. Men? The ear is just like, or it's a cauliflower ear. I was talking to Maddie this morning about cauliflower noses. The M, well, the envy, this is a terrible thing to say. It's not the envy, but when you come across a cauliflower nose, invested alcohol has been invested in that nose. There are just caverns and crevices in, the, in that nose that just no one's ever ventured to, least of all the person who owns the cavernous nose. But when you meet someone with an ear that's, they don't, you know, cauliflower ear, you look at it and go, good God, you've had your ear eaten in a scrum. I'm not saying they all haven't got ears, MT. Of course I'm not. Oh, MT. MT. You're all right. You're all right, MT. Hope you're all right. Are you a rugby player, MT? Share with us. Share. What's your story, MT, about, about 
about rugby. What's your experience of it? Share with us. We'd love to hear a bit more from you. Uh, football is played by gentlemen and watched by thugs, says the country pumpkin. Rugby is played by thugs and watched by gentlemen. I don't agree. I mean, most I have to say, most rugby players I've drunk with have been gentle souls. Gentle, gentle souls. Who, yeah, you're right, have no ears. No, I'm joking. You know, but a lot of kind of, you know, anyway, I, I, here's what I think the solution to this is. I think rugby... Uh, or any kind of contact sport that potentially does damage the brain. And let's face it, rugby is a physical sport. I mean, it, going back to my my sports master who kept me hostage, I, I played the game. Rather frustratingly, he did put me on the wing, and I was very fast, and I scored two tries, which was a bloody nightmare, because then he wanted to use me again and again and again, and I just said, I'm too scared. I, I was like, I'm scared. I don't care. He said, that's why we wanted to use you. That's why you were so fast, because you were so scared. What a bastard. Anyway, I don't think you should have to play rugby. I think there should be the choice. And then, you know, and maybe maybe bring it in. Maybe it's a sport that you play or choose to play when you're older. That's what I just said, Carice. Don't agree with that. Most of the rugby lads I know are gentle chance. I just said that. I just said that. Most, most of the people I've drunk with um, are, so, are so gentle. It says, as you are fast. MT, I don't, sorry, I don't understand. Um, oh, your son played. Yeah, it is because, it, was he fast? Winger, whoo, cross country in the freezing cold. But at least you're not going to smash your head in, are you? Or have your ear torn off? Well, the one that I remember coming, I remember, I mean, God almighty, I was always the one that would be, have the ball kind of thrown out to me from the scrum. I remember someone having their nostril hooked and split their nose. Split their nose, this, that way. Bear with me. Show me back. Scrum, scrum, scrumity, scrum. Right. Come on, then. let's move on. So quickly, let's just talk about um, this. This this made me chuckle. The Royal Navy is due to test a fi test fire a nuclear missile for the first time since it launched one eight years ago. Do you know what happened eight years ago? This is so classically us. In 2016, the Royal Navy test fired an unarmed Trident D5 ballistic missile from HMS Vengeance. However, the missile flew in the wrong direction. And instead of reaching its target in, in the South Atlantic off the coast of West Africa, it headed in the opposite direction towards the US. So the British Navy have notified the world that they're going to be firing a non-nuclear, but a warhead that would carry a nuclear uh, warhead, a missile, into the Atlantic. Okay, and it's going to happen between any time between now and I think Tuesday. Everyone in the world's like shitting out the Royal Navy about to fire another fucking nuke. Which way is it going to go? Everyone's like waiting with bated breath. They don't want to give the specific time on it. And I'll tell you why I think that is. I think they're worried that if it goes in the wrong direction again, they want to control the narrative. When it hits Iceland, they want to be able to say it was meant and we were trying to intercept an earthquake. What a load of morons. Coming the same day as there's an opinion piece saying Gen Z will never sign up to a citizen's army. Any invading people just don't feel that nationalistic fervor. It's like, for God's sake, let's all just stop now. To quote Lee Peart, oh, we're all tired. We've had enough. We don't need any more of this. 
So be prepared. If something hits the side of your house and it's a bit loud and a bit unexpected, it could be Trident. It could be the Royal Navy have, have gone in the wrong direction. Um, I just want to touch very briefly, very tragic news about this. You may have seen the uh, producer of Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, his wife, tragically, I saw this news story last night, Has they say has died jumping from a hotel balcony in Los Angeles. Um I don't know how they know it is a suicide. I mean, they, there must be some details that they have. There's no suicide note. But, uh, but yeah, she's the wife of, um, what's his name? Bradley Thomas, who is the producer of, uh, he produced also Triangle of, he was an exec or producer on Triangle of Sadness. Tragically, tragically sad. They were at the BAFTA tea party only a couple of weeks ago. Um, and yeah, her death has been listed as a suicide by the LA County Coroner's Office um, as she jumped from uh, a balcony or her, she fell from a balcony at the Hotel Angelino in LA on Monday night. Just, just everything, everything. Just, just hold those close to you, close to you. And if you know that people are struggling with their mental health, um, reach out to them. I think, um, oh, I forget the name of the actress. There's an actress, oh God, what's her name? She's got a funny name, which is like two names together. Uh, Julie Julie or something. Anyway, uh, a friend of hers posted, who was an actress, something along the lines of, you know, how how she just wishes she'd reached out to her more recently. So, so yes. Um, and, oh, yes. And, of course, I was going to talk briefly about the chemical attack in uh, Clapham, just before we move on to the quiz. Um, they The police are in a manhunt situation. They're trying to get someone called Abdul Shukur Ezedi. Um, this is not going to... This is going to play terribly with the whole sort of asylum-seeking narrative because, of course, he, I think, I believe, he he went for asylum uh, twice here, um, sought asylum twice. He had his application granted on the third attempt, um, He and uh, he's now wanted for this. Uh, it looks like it's an alkali attack, which, of course, alkali acid, I think constructed or made or, or, or mixed from sort of domestic kind of cleaning fluids. When I look at all, I'm not going to show any of the footage or rushes, but when I look at the rushes of this, or when I look at the footage of this, um, Al Zoran, is it, is it all still cordoned off in the area? Hope you're well, Al Zoran. Um, when you look at the footage on this, there's something about it which makes me wonder whether he was, uh, it was a kind of, I hate to use the phrase because it sounds so sort of TV-ish, but it looks like a sort of almost a hit. It looks like a sort of, like he may have been, I don't know, paid to do it or something. It's, st it's still in lockdown, is it, Alzheimer's? Yeah, no, I know the I know the road well. I drive through there quite a bit. Um, mm, yeah, so anyway, so photos, there are photos of him everywhere. I don't want to show the footage of it of it happening. It's It's... Just very distressing. Um, he and and yeah, done with such a sort of dis, a sort of casual, casual disregard, which is, which is the aspect of it that makes me either think, you know, either obviously he's an absolute psychopath to be able to do that, or was he was he hired? Was he hired? Um, so that's the Clapham attack. Uh, just briefly, John Cleese moving on to lighter news. John Cleese is going to bring faulty towers to the West End. Could be good. I mean, the problem for me with Faulty Towers, for anyone who doesn't know it, it was a very successful 70s sitcom starring, obviously, um, the Monty Python's John Cleese. Whatever you think of John Cleese now, it was genius. It was funny. Um, I don't know how well it will translate to stage. I do find the desire to put everything on stage really quite tedious. I don't know if anyone else does. It's like, it's like if 
I mean, why? Why? It's never going to be as good as the, as the original. Um, so, yeah, strong clues are doing that. And uh, just before we go into the quiz, oh, hang on. Can you guess something that's 285 years old and was auctioned for £1,416 in Shropshire? Can you guess what that might be? Something that's 285 years old, auctioned, found in a cupboard and auctioned um, uh, and made £1,416. No, not a wedding cake. Yeah, something you could potentially eat. It's a sort of, it's, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it'll do well, Tanya. Um, a lemon. I kid you not, a lemon. A lemon, believed to be 285 years old, has fetched £1,416 at a UK auction in Shropshire. It was unexpectedly found inside a 19th century cabinet, which was being photographed to be sold. The cabinet itself only sold for 32 quid. How's about that? That's a bit strange, isn't it? Okay, so let me do this. I'm just going to um, pull you over here. So let's do the quiz. It's quiz time, and then I'm going to show you a very sort of a sweet and finally clip right at the end of our at the end of our lives. So let me just do this. This, yeah. As I say, be prepared in case you hear a missile flying past your window. It's only the Royal Navy. It's only their missile that's gone off target. Um, so let me just do this. Uh, dunk, Here we go. I've got the quiz, and we're off. You ready? So quiz of the week. Quiz of the week. Quiz of the week. Quiz of the week. Uh, all right, sorry, I'm just trying to get this so I can see you and see it, and we can all be happy, happy bunnies together. There we go. I'm just going to shorten this. Da, 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 da. There we go. Okay. Are we ready? So, the Shetland town of Lerwick celebrated its spectacular annual fire festival of Upheliar. Which Viking squad did parade leader Richard Moore represent? Was it A, the home furnishing squad, B, Njal Thorgerson, or C, Odin, Lord of the Gallows? The Shetland town of Lerwick celebrated its spectacular annual fire festival of Up Heliar. We should go there next year and film it. What do you say? Which Viking squad did parade leader Richard Moore represent? A, home furnishing squad, B, Njal Thorgerson, or C, Odin, Lord of the Gallows? <laughs> I love a gap. Oh, no, gallows. Bellows. Those are bellows, aren't they? Gallows. Um, it's home furnishing squad. There you go. <laughs> uh, a. Sorry, it was A. Uh, oh, you're not going to believe this. Tennis question. Sorry, guys. I can't even pronounce any of the names. Arena Sabalinka won Tennis's Australian Open Windows Women's Singles title for the second year in a row, beating Zheng Kinwen of China in straight sets. Who was the last woman to retain a Grand Slam title? Was it A, Victoria Azarenka, B, Iga Swiatek, or C, Serena, Serena, Serena Williams? Your guess is as good as mine. Was it A, Victoria Azarenka, B, Iga or Iga Swiatek, or C, Serena Williams? Her name's the easiest to pronounce and I can't say it. Serena Williams. A... It's B, Iga Swiatek, Iga Swiatek, Poland's Iga Swiatek. There you go. Sorry, guys. Question three, a painting by the Austrian artist Gustav Klimt that was believed lost for 100 years was found in Vienna. Last seen in public in 1925, what's it called? A, Lady with a Fan. B, Portrait of Fraulein Leiser 
or C, Woman in Gold. Uh, a long lost painting by the Austrian artist Gustav, you know, he did the kiss, you know, that sort of gold kind of pretty thing. I don't mind Klimt, he's gone. A painting by the Austrian artist Gustav Klimt was believed lost, was found in Vienna. What was it called? A, Lady with a Fan, B, Portrait of Fraulein Lisa, Lisa, or C, Woman in Gold. Lots of you getting this one right. Look at that, Fifi Chromat. B, Portrait of Fraulein Lisa. Question four. Butter chicken. Oh, I'm suddenly hungry. A curry popular around the world became the topic of a court battle in India over who invented it. The descendants of a founder of a celebrated Delhi restaurant sued a rival chain over claims that they created butter chicken and which other dish? Oh, it's got all legal. So what were they fighting over? Butter chicken and what other dish? A, dal makaani. B, lambuna. C, matar paneer. Which of those other dishes is tied up in a rival suing process in, in Delhi? A, Dal Makani, B, Lambuna, or C, Mata Paneer? Uh, your Donny Harvey, Lambuna. You just want one, don't you? I want a Lambuna. I don't like lamb. What am I talking about? I want a, but a butter chicken, though. <gasps> just the words, butter chicken. I must admit, actually, I'm getting a bit bored of chicken. We need to invent another bird. Turkeys are boring. I just find chickens boring. I find them really boring. It's not who cooks them, just chickens. They're just boring. Dal Makani, A. A. Oh, lots of you wrong there. None of you saying A. You're all going for Lambuna and Matapaneer. Question five. The UK population could reach nearly 74 million by 2036 with net migration fueling the rise. The Office for National Statistics told us last week approximately how many people does the Office for National Statistics estimate will be born over the next 12 years? How many people do they think are going to be born over the next 12 years? Is it A, 7.6 million, B, 10.3 million, or C, 10.8 million? How many people does the Office for National Statistics believe are going to be born in the UK in the next 12 years? Why 12? Is it A, 7.6 million, B, 10.3 million, C, 10.8 million? Whilst you're answering that, Edward Bevington, quails, quails to you, mate. Um, very small, and they always make me think of the film by David Lynch, A Razorhead. I always expect their legs to move on the plate. I find a quail annoying. I find them irritatingly small. I feel like punching them when they, whenever I see them. It's like, you fucking annoying quail. Um, C, you're right, Dawny Harvey, 10.8 million. Wow. Question six. Oh, itchy ear hole. Japan's moon lander, which had to shut down for a week due to a power supply issue, came back to life. A photo taken by one of the spacecraft's robots showed it had landed on its nose. Ah, oh, bless it. It's on its front face. But what is the robot called? What is Japan's moon lander called? Is it called? Oh, no. Sorry. What's the spacecraft's robot called that took the photograph? David Bailey. Is it A, Shioli, B, Sora Q, or C, Toy Poodle? Which of those is Japan the robot that took a photo? God, it's up there taking Instagram selfies. He's up there. He's got, he's got his own Instagram account and everything. What's he called? A, Shioli, B, Sora Q, or C, Toy Poodle. Apparently the moon's getting smaller, guys. It's, it's, it's doing that. It's contracting. All sorts of earthquakes are happening, and eventually it's going to go pop, and then we're all going to go skewing off into stellar space. Um, it's called Sora Q, B, B. You're right, Lutines. Lutines, Lutines. Uh, as is Jubi and Anna Charolumbus. Hi, Charolumbus. 
I love saying your surname. Final question. A Tory MP said he quit his ministerial role because he couldn't afford to pay his mortgage on his government salary. How much was the MP earning as science minister? Was it A, 86,000, B, 118,000, or C, 154,000? Which of those did the Tory MP, George Freeman, who was a science minister, say he wasn't earning enough for his mortgage? Was it A, 86,000, B, 118,000, or C, 154,000? Faith Goodman, bang on the nose there. Bang on the nose, it's B. Who's got who's got seven out of seven? I bet no one has. Or maybe someone has. If you if you're a tennis, if you're a tennis fan, you might have got it. What's the highest anyone's got? Duh. Who's entering the weekend a winner? Okay, well, whilst you're giving me your scores, um, well done, Sean Thomas, one out of seven. I'm gonna play you this clip. This is a very sweet clip. This is taken from Florida. Um, as part of a beach cleanup, just check this out, just to get you in the right mood for the weekend. And that's it. Isn't that sweet? Oh, six rehabilitated pelicans released back into the wild at beach cleanup. Mum, mum, I think that's what you saw in the garden yesterday. It was a pelican. Um, <laughs> Faith, who just said that? Mark, not to worry you, anyone, but I just saw the missile go past my eyes. Careful, duck. Don't worry, it won't hit its target, which is probably all, you have, all the reason to worry. Okay, guys, um, there you go. Freedom, pelicans. They didn't even say thank you. Faith, you got three. I think in looking at today's scores, I think you're a winner. I think you're a winner for sure. It was a tough one. Guys, have a lovely day. Lots of content landing as ever. Stay safe.